A story of defiant hope from Exodus chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. God said to Moses and Aaron while still in Egypt, This month is to be the first month of the year for you. Address the whole community of Israel. Tell them that on the tenth of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one lamb to a house. If the family is too small for a lamb, then share it with a close neighbor, depending on the number of persons involved. Be mindful of how much each person will eat. Your lamb must be a healthy male, one year old. You can select it from either the sheep or the goats. Keep it penned until the 14th day of this month and then slaughter it. The entire community of Israel will do this at dusk. Then take some of the blood and smear it onto the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which you will eat it. You are to eat the meat roasted in the fire that night, along with the bread made without yeast and bitter herbs. Don't eat any of it raw or boiled in water. Make sure it's roasted, the whole animal, head, legs, and innards. Don't leave any until morning. If there are leftovers, burn them in the fire. And here is how you are to eat it. Be fully dressed with your sandals on and your stick in your hand. Eat it in a hurry. It is the Passover of God. I will go through the land of Egypt on this night and strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, whether human or animal, and bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am God. The blood will serve as a sign on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No disaster will touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. This will be a memorial day for you. You will celebrate it as a festival to God down through the generations, a fixed festival celebration to be observed always. This is a story of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Confirmation class this week triggered a family conversation around the question, what is your favorite smell? Answers in my family ranged from the salt water of the ocean, pine cones in the mountains, to babies and uh, french fries. The psychology degree in the car pointed out a favorite smell would be embedded in a favorite memory, which seemed to be true for us. It was salt water for the fishermen, pine cones for the skier, and babies for the mama. Exodus chapter 12 is a story that smells like roasted lamb, bitter herbs, and baked flatbread. And I suspect that this aroma is a favorite of the faithful so tied is this story to our freedom. This chapter of Exodus says that the Israelites lived in Egypt for 430 years and that at this penultimate moment, that's how Robert Alter describes it, is the moment of their great escape. This penultimate moment is an interruption into the larger plague narrative. It's one plague after another, ten plagues where Yahweh is pronouncing judgment on the gods of Egypt, including Pharaoh. Pharaoh counts as a god in Egypt. Only Yahweh, only Israel's God, controls chaos and order. Only Israel's God controls life and death. And so 
as the last plague, the plague of the death of the firstborn begins, Exodus gives instructions, commands to be kept by the faithful. And these are the only commands given outside of the wilderness, the only instructions given in Egypt. Every year at the beginning of the year, eat this meal, smell these smells to remember Do this. The memory is in your body. Well, what is to be remembered? What is to be remembered is the impotence of the Egyptian gods and the strength, the power of our God, and the invitation to get out into the wilderness to partner with God. It's a strange, disorienting scene. Take a lamb, slaughter it at sundown, paint the doorframe of your house with its blood, eat the meal, prepared in a simple, rustic, hurried manner, and get on your way. I can remember the very first time that I heard this story as a child. I thought, paint the what with what? Why would you do that? God said that. Why? There are many theories, many answers to the question of why, and one of which is God's people painted their doorposts so God would know where they were. The blood would protect them. There's an archaeological term for this. The term is apotropaic. Apotropaic describes a marking or a charm that is used to ward off bad luck, to ward off evil. In ancient Egypt and even today, apotropaic objects or charms were used in homes to keep the bad luck out, to keep evil out. Some even say that Egyptians placed these markings on their doors to protect. And so the blood on the doorposts then would protect the Israelites from the bad luck of death. It's frequently taught, but I have a hard time buying it. It doesn't work in the larger story of Exodus. In previous plagues, the plague of the flies or the death of the livestock or the hail or darkness, God makes a distinction between the Israelites and the Egyptians without any clues without any markings or charms. You know, our God just doesn't need hints or tips. I don't think the blood sign is for God. But maybe it's for the Israelites to remind them of who they are and whose they are, turning the doorposts into an altar of sorts for focus, to tell them, Who is God and who are we? By marking their doorposts as altars, the people are saying, there's this covenant with God. I have a share in it. And the remembering for me starts now. Now, this is entirely possible. But the thing is, the thing is the Israelites are packing their bags. They're leaving. They're moving out. And they're not taking those doorposts, those door frames with them. There's no U-Haul involved, just sandals on the feet and staff in hand. They're out of there. The main thing that they take with them is the story, the memory. 
Well, could the blood on the doorposts be for the Egyptians? This, I think, is a most intriguing idea. Maimonides taught that the place that the blood was painted was chosen. It was chosen in order to give prominent publicity to the notion that the people in the house were aligned with God. So it wasn't painted on the inside of the doors, but on the outside of the doorposts, a banner or a flag that said, the one bringing all the plagues, I'm with him. That's risky business. And to add insult to injury, there are a handful of Jewish scholars who point to the idea that the ram, the lamb, was sacred to the Egyptians. Meet Amun Re. Amun Re is the ancient Egyptian god of the sun and the air. He is often depicted with a ram's head. For a period of time, for about 500 years, Amun Re is considered king of the gods. He is the Lord of all and encompasses every aspect of creation because he is the god of air, right? Amun Re is sacred. So can you imagine, take that image of Amun Re, slaughter it, and paint it on your door. Here's what I think of your Amun Re and all his fellow gods. That's bold. It's no wonder that the Israelites had to prepare their food quickly, eat with their sandals on, and get the heck out of Dodge. There's no going back. I've been thinking this week a bit about college football. Maybe you have too. It's that time of year. College football rivalries often have a story that elevates and empowers the home team and also at the same time says that the competition, that the rivalry is somehow worth the time. We get on the field year after year to fight this good fight. The Passover story reminds us that the fight worth fighting is the fight against slavery to impotent, meaningless gods wherever we find them, and they are everywhere. Walter Brueggemann points out that the Egyptian gods can reproduce some of the wonders and miracles that Moses and Aaron perform in front of Pharaoh, but in chapter 8, pretty early on in the plagues, they cannot produce gnats. And Brueggemann says, if you can't produce gnats, what good are you? But there's more to this calling. There's more to this calling than simply debunking the empire and its meaningless gods. The Passover is a calling It's a summons to an ongoing relationship with the God of the wilderness. Pursue the God who says, you are not a slave, you are worthy of my time, and you are created in my image. In her book, Rising Strong, Brene Brown says that much of the significant work that we have to do in our lifetimes is living into the idea that we are loved, We are divine, and we are creative. Brown's research leads her to teach 
that what most often stops us, what most often hooks us, are stories that we buy into and retell ourselves that we are not loved, that we have no divine spark, and that we are not smart. And so when enough people then buy into the very good idea, I am loved, I am divine, I am creative, and so are you. When enough people buy into that, Brown says we have a revolution. And I would tell you then we have an exodus and we have freedom. Is the sign of the blood on the doorposts for the Egyptian or the Israelite or for God? Really, it could be for any of the participants in this great drama. It could be for any and all. The story is for all of the participants. And I find that within me, I have oppressed, oppressor, and creative. All are in need of hearing this story, telling this story, acting out this story. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs wrote that freedom is one not on the battlefield, but freedom is one in the human imagination and will. We need an army to defend a country, but we need a school. We need a school to defend a free society. The meal is our school. The story is the school of our souls. We tell the story. We act out the story. It gets into our bodies and deep into our memories and our very lives. The Gospels tell us that Jesus gathered his disciples to celebrate the Passover meal the night before he gave himself up for us. He added the depth of forgiveness, and he emphasized that defiant hope that is worth fighting for, resurrection. Resurrection. No matter what, there is always life. No matter what, there is always hope. Will you pray with me? Blessed are you, O God, who with your word and Holy Spirit created all things and called them good. In Jesus Christ, your word became flesh and dwelt among us. And through Jesus' suffering and death, you took upon yourself our sin and death and destroyed their power forever. You raised from the dead this same Jesus who now reigns with you in glory and poured upon us your Holy Spirit, making us the people of your new covenant. On the night before meeting with death, Jesus took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, Jesus took the cup gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant. It's poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us. Pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts, 
that in the breaking of bread and the drinking of wine, we may know the presence of the living Christ and be renewed as the body of Christ for the world, redeemed by Christ's blood, until Christ's come in final victory and we feast at your table forever. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us in worship today. I'm Senior Pastor Holly Gotelli. Alamo Heights United Methodist Church is a Christian community of love, hope, and belonging for all. To connect with us, visit ahumc.org or find us on social media.